Welcome back to the Power of Sports Nutrition podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you Rob Vanderwerf. Rob is a sports nutritionist in the Netherlands, an avid mountain bike cyclist himself, and he works with able-bodied and para cyclists as well as para swimmers. So welcome to the podcast, Rob. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. So, Rob, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about your background and how you got into being a sports nutritionist? Yeah, I'm now already say, around 12 years uh, dietitian or nutritionist. Uh, I'm working in the, in the field and I started working as a sports nutritionist around 12, 12 I think, 2012 and mm-hmm. uh, worked in the, it's called nowadays Team DSM. I was there, uh, one of the first uh, sport nutritionists. Uh, I worked there for uh, multiple years, and it was like, the first time that I, mm-hmm. yeah, working with yeah athletes in that time. And yeah, this that day I stopped working there, and I'm building up my own practice in, in those days. And um, now, for I think in 2018, I was asked to work with the Paralympic cyclists in the Netherlands. So from that time, I'm yeah rolling with uh, the team in the Netherlands, and since last summer, I've started with the Paralympic swimmers. So that's uh, mm-hmm. we're building up together to uh, to the main goal in uh, next year in, uh, in Paris. Mm. And so Team DSM, that was a professional cycling team. Yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't that those days. It was not uh, World Tour, but the, the year after what I started, they became World Tour. And those days, mm-hmm. it, it called another name. It was Giant Shimano or Giant Helpers. The name is rolling uh, every year with some teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there were more, yeah, sort of 550 riders, I think, what I have to help in those days with everything what is coming around in those days. Mm-hmm. And so when you're working with the paracyclists, how, how different is that in terms of working with the able-bodied program? Have you found that you've needed to change your mindset or change your practice in any specific way i think that in general it's really depending on what kind of rider i have in front of me uh, and mm-hmm. also with what kind of handicap they have but the most different thing is that sometimes we think you say something you explain something to some riders and you hope that they understand it and make it more to practice but yeah that, that that's not always the case so uh, mm-hmm. repetition and uh, try to be there and help them in making choices, I think is that's, that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's because they don't have the length of background as a cyclist that perhaps some of the able-bodied cyclists you've worked with have had? Like obviously in the able-bodied sport, they tend to start pretty young. And so there's perhaps a, uh, a learning that goes along with that through that each age group and as they develop, whereas maybe with some of the paracyclists, they come in at a later stage due to their impairment or maybe they've been in other sports. Do you think that plays a part in that? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think the the age of some riders is, uh, some riders in the Paralympic team are older than me. <laughs> the oldest is, uh, I think, is Jeanette is 52, I think. So there's a really big gap mm-hmm. from the, the youngest rider is, yeah, it's 19 to 52. So there's 
and everybody has a, a different background in uh, when they start recycling or uh, other sports. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's the challenge to bring them in how important nutrition can be in uh, their behavior and uh, performance. Mm-hmm. And so with the para swimming that you're now working with, have they had a nutritionist working with them before or is this something that's relatively new for them? No, they worked uh, till Tokyo with an, uh, another dietitian. And mm-hmm. the last, yeah, one and a half year, there was nobody. So I'm just started up again with everybody to uh, get the knowledge and get to know each other. And I think that's the first part and the most important part of everything. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do in terms of getting to know the athletes? I was uh, in February, they were on training camp and uh, I was there for also on training camp where they were. So then I've just talked with them, speaking about their knowledge, about nutrition, but also things uh, besides how life is and what they do besides swimming and mm-hmm. to be the best and what the goals are. And slowly I try to improve their knowledge about one specific yeah, point, for example, carbohydrates, how important that is. Uh, and then mm-hmm. that's the first part what we're going to focus on the upcoming weeks and months. Yep. And so... How different is it with working between the cyclists and the swimmers? Are they, you know, the swimmers tend to be a bit younger in general, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are uh, early 20s, so they are really <laughs> young to compare them to the cyclists. Yep. And so what other differences do you notice in terms of just the, you know, the, the way you communicate with them or the way they take up knowledge? Do you find that there's differences between the two sports? Mm. I think there's not a big difference because in this swimming group are also a lot of uh, Olympic medalists in, from Tokyo. So mm-hmm. they know already what they are doing. But yeah, in the end, when there is nobody around to help them with, for my case, in nutrition, then you see the, the behavior is also is changing there. So they go back to their old behaviors there and there's nothing wrong and bad with that but i think that's the first part to where you're going when you have some influence there and try to help them with uh, yeah when you compare swimming with uh, uh, recycling they have a really structured life so they're going every day in the same pool at the same time and they go more mm-hmm. or less they stop at the same time and in the afternoon they come back so that's the biggest yep. difference with cycling. They can hop on the bike in yeah every minute on a day, and yep. yeah that makes some sometimes easy because uh, yeah in those days in the Netherlands it's really crappy weather. So then it is nice to be <laughs> in the swimming pool. <laughs> it's always warm, <laughs> but uh, yeah when you compare it today, it's yeah it's raining cats and dogs. So yeah, if you then go out from the bike, yeah it's not the best. Uh, way to be healthy again yeah yeah and so from from a i guess from applying your knowledge i often get asked well how is it different talking to paralympic athletes about sports nutrition compared to able-bodied athletes so can you give us maybe an example or two from the work that you've done with either of the two sports in terms of where you maybe have had to think a little bit differently about how you apply that knowledge or you've had to sort of problem solve something in a, in a different way than you would have done with an able-bodied athlete? That's a difficult question or difficult in a way. I think 
in general, I try to um, see the Paralympic uh, athletes as an, just a normal person. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the difficult thing is for when the athletes are have the disability, for for example, they are um, blind, then um, and they also have their own uh, home and their own things, what they are doing, and and I really want to understand what's what's happening and how they move through the day. And we have uh, luckily we started, I think, mm -hmm. uh, just for Tokyo, and a nice study about uh, energy energy metabolism metabolism to see how. Mm -hmm. the athletes how much energy they are using in uh, different ways and i never thought that that they're using so much energy during the day with uh, just yeah sitting on the couch and be cycling and be training and all things be, uh, behind that but when you going to talk more and more with them and see how difficult for them is to go to the grocery and do shopping and that they that they get stressed from that kind of things yeah that's mm -hmm. the way why I get more knowledge there and see yeah, that the energy um, use is also way higher than uh, just a normal person that walks in the grocery and grab their stuff and go home. I think that's mm -hmm. one of the biggest difference what I really yeah, get knowledge about in the last, last years. Mm. And so what did you use? What tools did you use to work out that energy expenditure? Were they wearing some sort of activity monitor or did you use other tools? Yeah, the, we started uh, a study. So I just helped with the study and a colleague of me uh, is writing the articles about it. And uh, we used uh, double labeled water and also mm. activity monitors. Uh, we used uh, the power cranks for using energy use from uh, training, that kind of things. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we have a really good understanding now in how much it, uh, it can be in, the, in those days. Mm. Yeah. Did you notice that just with the, the visually impaired athletes or did you also notice that with some other athletes with other impairments? Yeah, for, the, uh, for example, the age four or the age five, they, yeah, they can just walk normally or have an, uh, how do you call it? They have an embrace. I don't know if I'm saying the right word now. Yeah, so walking with a, if they have a, a lower level spinal cord injury, they may actually be walking with a with I guess braces on their legs yeah. to support their 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 leg function. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so braces to to walk around and or mm -hmm. um, sitting in a wheelchair to move around and yeah, when you. That's what I normally have always thought when um, you're sitting in a wheelchair, it's, it costs a lot of energy to move around. But when you're sitting in a wheelchair and the ground is equal, yeah, you move pretty quickly. Yeah. So you don't have to use a lot of uh, energy to move around. So it's just a small things to yeah, understand what they are doing and, yeah, how, yeah, and then talk with them. Then, then you get more knowledge about um, how they move and then you can make an more kind of uh, relationship with, uh, with the energy user. It's still difficult, of mm. course, but I think you really have to understand what, you know, what they're doing normally the whole day. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that's probably one of the most difficult aspects in terms of when you're working with, with this, what, when sports dietitians and nutritionists start working with athletes on the parasite, the biggest question they often ask is how do you work out their energy requirements? And, and there's so many components to that that make it difficult to give one answer. There's not one size that fits all because 
you know, while someone may have a spinal cord injury, there may be something else that's changing their energy requirements, like muscle spasm, for example. Or as you say, with the vision impaired athlete, you wouldn't necessarily think that their energy requirement would be higher, but their anxiety level and, and the stability of their walking and, and things like that is is different. And so I think, as you say, talking to the athletes, but observing them as well. Have you found that just watching athletes in their movement patterns helps you with trying to work out how to assess their energy requirements? Yeah, yeah, I think totally. I think that's the most important thing, uh, what you can do as a uh, sport nutritionist. Yeah. What about hydration side of things? Do you find that there's differences there in terms of how you've had to manage that? Uh, yeah, uh, where you go... Uh, to the last uh, Paralympic to Tokyo, we did uh, a lot of measurement with a lot of athletes, also in uh, climate rooms. And yeah, it was really big what their sweat rate were. And I also didn't mm. understand, I also don't understand why it is so big, but so high. It, yeah, we did it, for example, with, with Jetsen. Yeah, if when he was normally sitting in the, in the climate room and he did an easy ride over there and yeah, he was already sweating for more than two, two and a half liters an hour. Mm. So, yeah, luckily in the in the road race in Tokyo, it was bad weather. But otherwise, we, <laughs> yes. we had a big we had a big challenge over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The weather changed dramatically between so the first day of the road races and the rest of those days, didn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, really bad weather over there. <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah, it's really. But the other way, if you're going to understand, um, yeah, how big the upper torso from Yetse um, is, it's also big muscles over there. So that has to also have mm. to be the cooling down over there. So yeah, if you're going more in that knowledge, it's also yeah a little bit normally that um, the body needs more fluid to cool down again. Yeah, yeah. And so what is, I guess, some what are some of the biggest learnings that you've had that you feel like you've, you know, since since you started in 2018 with paracyclists and, and now working with the paraswimmers, what's one big thing that you've, you've learnt or you've changed in the way you practice along that time? Um, it's to be there. It's to be in the group, be part of the group mm -hmm. that they know who you are and that they always can reach you for anything what there is just mm -hmm. not only to talk about nutrition but also about yeah what is life and how can you find the rest in yourself to to do the simple things yep and so what recommendations do you have for athletes and coaches on the paraside who perhaps haven't had as ready access to a sports nutritionist or a sports dietitian? If we talk specifically about the Netherlands, how would they access a sports nutritionist or a sports dietitian if they were looking for you know, ways to improve on their nutrition? Hi, in, uh, in the Netherlands, we have also a federation about uh, sport dietitians. Uh, it's just a website mm -hmm. where uh, all sport dietitians from the Netherlands you can find. From that way, they, they can email call uh, all uh, sport nutritionists uh, that are available mm -hmm. and then is the biggest question always is is that nutritionist also feeling comfortable with the athlete because i think also that's an important thing is 
that you also have an, a connection together. And um, mm -hmm. from that point, you can help each other. Yep. Do you think it's uh, important for the athlete themselves also to to make sure that they're comfortable with giving a lot of information to to that individual? Yeah, yeah. And then is it always uh, depending on the athlete how much he or she wants to tell you what's happening with mm -hmm. uh, how the impairment was and how it if they have an accident, that kind of uh, things. I think that's the trust what you have to build up with the athlete. Yep. And what about other practitioners? If there's sports nutritionists or sports dietitians around the world who are potentially interested in working with para-athletes, what avenues do you think are open to them to be able to pursue that? I think go to watch the games, go to watch training, see what's happening. It's a total different world what's going to be open for you. Mm -hmm. I still remember yep. the the full the first World Cup race in uh, where I was and see all the different departments over there. It was yeah incredible what kind of persons athletes you see moving around on the bike or moving around in a swimming pool. It's just incredible how yeah how to get the life a little bit back in, in, a, in a different way and then in sports. Mm -hmm. Yep. How long already uh, working in the Paralympic field? me or how how long you are no no you you yeah this <laughs> me oh my god uh 20 plus years <laughs> and um, <laughs> but what, what kind of difference did you see in the last 20 years then from nutrition perspective in uh, paralympic field ah oh, funding funding for people for parallel athletes to be able to see it, anyone in in you know the sports science sports medicine field has increased dramatically and it's it's enabled them it's enabled practitioners to actually have a a, a real opportunity to create a speciality in that area as well as for athletes and coaches to be able to access those support services uh, so if you look back 20 years ago there wasn't really any support services for para-athletes because the funding wasn't there. And now there's a lot more opportunities in a lot more countries. And I think, you know, that would be interesting as well. To So in, in the Netherlands, how many different dietitians are working with their para-sports? Uh, I think three, maybe two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one I'm... I'm working with uh, cycling and uh, swimming. And then there's somebody starting in wheelchair uh, basketball. And there was in the past somebody for athletics and for boccia. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that are the only persons that uh, work in that field. But it is also and a small world. Yeah, yeah. Because how many athletes are there in the, in the Dutch team? For example, for, for the Paralympics, how many athletes did you have? Uh, I have... Uh, yeah, the, we call it the, 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 big, the big team from cycling. We have 24 athletes, mm -hmm. but they don't go all to the Paralympics next year because there are not so many slots over there. Uh, and it's a little bit yeah. the same in swimming. I think there's now 10 athletes there. And the first part is now trying to reach the qualification for the World uh, Championships uh, this year. And then mm -hmm. after that, they go into... Yeah, hopefully reach their qualification for uh, Paris for our upcoming year. Mm. 
And so when you travelled with the team last uh, in 2021 to, to Tokyo, were you just with the, the cycling team? Yeah, yeah, and I was only in the training camps, so I didn't went to, uh, to Tokyo uh, there. So I was in the last uh, training camp in Portugal with the half of the team, with the track team, the, the just the hand mm-hmm. cyclists, they were in the Netherlands or they were on an altitude stage. So we had small groups mm-hmm. uh, around Europe. And in yep. the end, they travel together to uh, to Tokyo. Uh huh. And so, do you think that's going to be different for Paris? Do you think there's going to be more opportunities that get created for the practitioners to work with the athletes actually during those big competitions? I hope so. Uh, I had a little bit of luck um, last year that I went with uh, the World Championships in, in Bergamoa last year. Um, mm-hmm. So then you really see what's happening in. In the team and to organize all the the nutrition the food over there was a big challenge in uh mm. get us yes i've heard bacon of, is pretty uh, challenging <laughs> yeah it's it's a, yeah it's a nice place to be there in the middle of nowhere <laughs> but yeah <laughs> but yeah they also want to have a little bit yeah good nutrition and yeah that's really a challenge to yeah to do the groceries over there yeah I think that's the other thing that I I see is that once you go to the Games, there's more countries that seem to have support staff from the sports sciences and sports medicine side of things actually there in place. And I think that's partly because they're, they're showing now the way in terms of going to major competitions. So for any new sports nutritionists, sports dietitians coming in, it, you have to take little baby steps. You know, it's been what now five years for you, and and it's still small steps to kind of show that the benefit of what you do, not only during training but also at a major competition, and hopefully over time allow that to be embedded into what's the expected support staff that go with teams. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it takes time and. Uh... It's a lot of uh, communicate together to uh, to have the same goal together, and especially when they uh, have to travel a lot. Uh, if you go uh, in in Bourne, I think now they have two World Cups in Europe: one in Italy and one in uh, Belgium, and then they fly to America. Yeah, it's a lot of thinking about the the travel, the flight to be there. How are you going to arrange the nutrition there when you are not in America? Uh, it's a lot of yeah talking with the Schwanjers that uh, of the visual what's there and yeah making the plan together uh, see what's happening over there mm. yep well great Rob I think you're doing you know a great job and keep got to keep fighting that little fight and and keep you know showing the value of having more people involved at that level I know you're a busy man and it's a busy year coming into its, uh, trials for the the Paris games so I'll try and finish up uh so the last question is what's your favorite food my favorite food is uh pizza and i don't care what's on it but uh normally i really like pizza with rucola and with uh parma ham and parmesan cheese on it that's my uh, favorite Mm -hmm. pizza Okay, so so we Australians, we tend to like having pineapple on our pizza and it seems to be a somewhat uniquely Australian thing. So the question is, pineapple or not? No, <laughs> no, no pineapple on the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know how so we call the pizza we're pineapple. Thing. No, we can. You can what buy it in there it? also. In the, we call it pizza Hawaii. Yep, yep, Hawaiian. But it's strangely not a Hawaiian tradition to do. <laughs> so I don't know where Hawaiian pizza the the name actually came from. <laughs> Uh, Me too. Awesome. I know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Rob. And I know it's you know you're a busy, got a busy schedule, so we'll let you get on with your day. But appreciate your insight and obviously the learnings that you have. And we wish you all the best with the Dutch team over the next few years. Thank you, Liz. Welcome for the invitement. I'm really excited to read the outcomes of some of the research that Rob was involved in on the energy requirements and energy expenditure of their athletes because it sounds like they've done a fairly thorough job of assessing those requirements and there's so little known other than in potentially spinal cord injuries. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have any feedback, please leave it on our website. And certainly if you have some topics you're interested in, let us know. And I hope you'll join us next time when we talk to Dr. Jill Parnell, who is a researcher in Canada, and we're talking about dietary supplement use in para-athletes.